0: All right, we're going to read some scripture. It's Acts chapter 9 and uh, the first nine verses. We've been working our way through um, the book of Acts. And uh, let me read these first nine verses. You can follow along as Dr. Luke writes, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way... Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing, so they led him by the hand into Damascus for three days. He was blind and did not eat or drink anything let's uh, let 's pray this morning shall we lord we 're grateful to be here today. Thank you for uh, the sunshine. Uh, thank you for the beauty of today and um, uh, the beautiful fall weather that we've been enjoying. Lord, thank you for uh, the fact that we have the Word of God this morning, that we can uh, open up and uh, look into your Word. And Lord, we pray that uh, we uh, will open up our hearts and minds to what you have for us today, uh, that we will be like uh, young Samuel who said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so I pray that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and uh, speak to each of our hearts today. Lord, uh, thank you for uh, the hope that we have, uh, that our hope is not found in this world, but we're citizens of heaven. And there is a day coming when we will gather uh, around your throne, we will gather around that river, and we will praise you forever and ever. And uh, Lord, thank you that uh, we can look forward to that. In the meantime, help us to be uh, faithful to all that you have called us to do And we'll give you the praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been in the book of Acts for uh, several months now. And uh, if you've been with us, you know, uh, just as a way of review, that uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is the key verse. But you'll be my witnesses and you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. That's uh, that's the outline of the book of Acts. And if you remember, uh, Acts chapters 1 through 7 is the gospel goes to Jerusalem. And Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, Peter gives that great Pentecost sermon, 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus, and the church is born in Jerusalem. That's the first seven chapters. Chapters 8 through 12, then, is the gospel moves to Judea and Samaria. How does that happen? Well, that happens through persecution. A great persecution broke out in Jerusalem, and the church and the body of Christ spread. And as they spread, they proclaimed the gospel, and the gospel made great inroads. But then we come to the last part of the book, and it's chapters 13 through 28, and that is the gospel goes to the ends of the world. And how did that happen? Well, it happened through a key person that we're going to look at this morning, His name is Saul. He was the chief persecutor of the church. He became the Apostle Paul. His life was dramatically changed. And we read of three missionary trips in the Gospel of Acts, where the Gospel makes its way to the uh, ends of the earth. Well, we're going to look at that key story of uh, Saul's conversion. at Saul's come to Jesus moment, and it is a dramatic, dramatic conversion. I remember um, growing up in the church, and my dad was a, a pastor, and so I literally have been in church every Sunday of my life since I was two weeks old. And uh, I remember hearing stories of people who had come to Christ, and their lives had dramatically changed. And as I heard those those testimonies, I remember wishing as a young boy, like, I wish my testimony was a little more dramatic, <laughs> you know? Um, and I came to faith in Jesus when I was eight years old. Um, I remember in first grade, I, I, I cheated on a test to pass, and it greatly, greatly bothered me. But uh, I remember wishing, oh, man, I wish I had one of these great testimonies. And then I realized, what a great testimony that God can save you young and save you a lot of heartache and, and uh, grief in your life. And so praise God for that. Well... Um, We're going to read about this dramatic testimony of uh, the Apostle Saul in Acts chapter 9. And uh, as I mentioned, he was the chief persecutor of the church. In fact, listen to Paul's own words in Acts chapter 26 at the end of the book as he recounts his conversion story before uh, King Agrippa. And this is Paul in his own words I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that is possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. And so here's Paul, who or Saul rather, who is the chief persecutor of the church and he is intent on extinguishing Christianity. He's a religious zealot, misguided, but he's he's thinking he's doing the right thing in persecuting Christians. And we're going to discover this morning that he's on the road to Damascus and he has an encounter with Jesus. So let's Uh, pick up our outline here, Saul's persecution of the church. And uh, we read it in our scripture reading. Let me just read again verses uh, uh, 1 and 2. Meanwhile, so we had a little parenthesis about the life of Philip uh, in Acts chapter 8, but now we're back to Saul. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, so uh, women were not uh, excluded from this, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So here is, is, is Saul, and he is intense on tracking down believers. And the persecution started in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem became the most dangerous place to become a Christian, and so the Christians scattered... And a lot of them went to Damascus. Now, Damascus is 150 miles northeast of Jerusalem. And so Saul's going to great lengths and traveling a long way to hunt down Christians that uh, might be in, in Damascus. And so here he is on this journey to Damascus. Probably would have taken five or six days by foot to travel to Damascus. And he's almost there. He's almost to Damascus, and we discover, as we uh, read the text in our outline, Saul's personal encounter with Jesus. Here it is, as he neared Damascus. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. Uh, when Paul uh, recounts this in Acts 26, he he gives us a few more details. He says, about noon, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven Brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. So it's about noon. He's getting close to Damascus. He's got letters from the high priest giving him authority to go into all the synagogues and round up all the Christians. And all of a sudden, he sees this light from heaven, brighter than the sun. And uh, it says, Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you were persecuting. This is, this is Saul's personal encounter with Jesus. And this is the moment in his life when he did a, a 180, when he understood who Jesus was and what he was doing. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And so Saul uh, travels into Damascus. It says that he's blind, he's led by hand. And there he is in Damascus for three days and three nights. He's physically blind, but guess what? He's received spiritual sight. This is his conversion moment. He passes from death to life. He passes from light to darkness. He passes from condemnation to being forgiven. He passes from being a child of the devil to a child of God. And Saul now is a... Uh, is a believer in Jesus, the chief persecutor of the church. Probably the most dramatic conversion story in all of the Bible. Well, for three days, he's blind. Uh, For three days, he's not eating. He's not drinking. And now we read that God's behind the scenes, and he's sovereignly ordaining some circumstances here to uh, encourage the uh, new convert by the name of Saul. And so we read about Ananias' precarious assignment. And so here's God's uh, providence and sovereignty at work. And we're introduced to this individual by the name of Ananias uh, who sees a vision. And so let's read it beginning in verse 10. Uh, In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. What's Saul doing? He's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So here's Saul now. He's at uh, Judas' house in Damascus on a place called Straight Street. And now God appears to a man by the name of Ananias and says, I want you to go and I want you to uh, place your hands on Saul and help him receive his sight. Now notice Ananias' reaction, and it probably would have been the same reaction uh, we had because Ananias has heard about Saul. <laughs> Ananias is a follower of the way. And so Ananias uh, begins to give some feedback here, some kick pushback. Verse 13, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. And I was like, uh, I've heard about this guy. (laughs) This guy is putting believers in prison and he's he's murdering followers of the way and you want me to, to go see him? But uh, notice God's response to Ananias Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So he tells Ananias, Go. This man Saul, I've chosen him, and I've chosen him to be my spokesperson. He's the one who's going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He's the one that I have chosen to to take this good news of the message of forgiveness and the cross to the ends of the world, the most least likely candidate to be uh, a missionary, a spokesperson for Jesus. He is my chosen instrument. And, you know, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, never got over this in his life. That God chose him to be uh, this great spokesperson for Christianity. Uh, this is what he writes in First Timothy um, chapter one. actually, it's Second Timothy chapter one, verses 12 through 14. Um, and he writes, "This is why I am suffering." Now, that's not the passage that I want. Maybe it is First Timothy chapter one. Here it is. yet it, it, it is. Uh, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me the strength that He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to His service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, even though I had this horrific past of putting Christians into prison and, and murdering them, He says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance, ignorance and unbelief. And so uh, Saul, Paul, never got over the fact that God chose him to be uh, a great missionary to take the word of God to the ends of the earth. Well, notice in verse 16, God says to Ananias, um, I'm going to show him, Saul, how much he must suffer for my name. So Saul, you're going to be this missionary that takes the gospel to the ends of the earth But guess what, Saul? You're also going to suffer. You're also going to end up in prison. You're also going to be beaten. You're also going to be stoned and left for dead. This is not going to be easy. So you're called, yes, to share the gospel. But guess what, Saul? Part of that calling is going to be great, intense suffering. And so it says that Ananias went to the house. He, he, He goes. He obeys. He enters in, and he places his hands on Saul, and he said, Brother Saul. I don't know if those words um, flowed freely from Ananias' mouth. I mean, here's here's the guy that's been the chief antagonist of the church, and now Ananias is there, and he calls him Brother Saul. You're now part of the family of God. Uh, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And so Ananias goes, he, he finds Saul at Judah's house on Straight Street, He goes in and he says, Jesus sent me here. He lays hands on him. Saul now can see. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, He's baptized. It doesn't say who baptized him. Probably Ananias did. And now Saul eats and gains his strength. And uh, Ananias is used by God to be an encourager to the apostle uh, Paul, Saul, at at this point in time. Well... Uh, verse, uh rest of verse 19, it says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. So now Saul begins to hang with Christians. Uh, that's vitally important in, in our lives and our walk with Jesus, especially for new believers. It is important to surround yourselves and to have fellowship with Christians. That's not just important for new believers. That's important for every follower of Jesus. That's why Hebrews 10.25 says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as believers. We need one another. We need to make corporate worship and corporate fellowship a priority because Saul needed that encouragement of believers, and we desperately need that in our lives as well. And so Saul hangs with some believers in, in Damascus, and that leads us to the last part of our outline Saul's preaching ministry. Uh, this, this is interesting, that uh, Saul, now the chief persecutor, is uh, is converted, and uh, he immediately, immediately begins to preach. He, he begins to go into the synagogues, and he begins to proclaim who Jesus is. Look at it in verse 20. At once... He began to preach in the synagogues that, what, Jesus is the Son of God. So the very one who just a few days earlier, maybe a week earlier, was persecuting the church, now is the preacher for the church. And he's preaching in synagogues, and he's proclaiming who Jesus is, that that Jesus is the Son of God. And you can imagine the response of the people that heard him. Verse 21 All those who heard him were astonished. Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So Saul was very trained in the scriptures in the Old Testament. Saul was uh, one who was uh, trained at the foot of a rabbi by the name of Gamaliel, and so Saul would have known the Old Testament scriptures very, very well. And now since he's come to know who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, now he's in the synagogues and he is unpacking uh, the scriptures and, and telling people from the Old Testament and preaching who Jesus is. Well, uh, Saul's uh, preaching ministry doesn't go very well um, in, in some ways because it says after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. So now the hunted, the one who has been hunting other people becomes the hunted one, the one who was going into homes and dragging Christians out of their homes and putting them in prison. Now they're plotting, the Jews are plotting to kill Saul. So what happens? It says, day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So Saul makes a nighttime escape because the the Jews there in Damascus want to do away with uh, with Saul. Well, let me just read the, the rest of the, the text here and kind of finish up the storyline, and then we'll look at some life lessons here. It says, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. So he he tries to, to hang with the Christians in Jerusalem, and what are the, how do the Christians respond? No way. <laughs> uh, we know who you are. They're not convinced that he's a believer. They're not convinced that his life has been changed This is they were all afraid of him, believing that he wasn't really a disciple. Who steps forward? Uh, this fellow by the name of Barnabas. We've met Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. Uh, every time we read of Barnabas in the New Testament, he's encouraging people. And Barnabas comes to Saul's um, side, and he begins to vouch for Saul. And he begins to tell people that though no, Saul's life has really been changed. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he'd preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed in Jerusalem with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So they sent him back to his hometown. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. They had peace because the chief persecutor was now one of them. He's no longer leading this charge to uh, throw believers into prison, and so there was a time of relative peace, uh, and the church continued to grow. Well, that's a brief overview of uh, Saul's conversion experience from Acts chapter 9. And this morning, just in the last uh, 10 minutes here or so, let's look at some life lessons uh, from Acts chapter 9 and the conversion of Saul. Here's uh, life lesson number one we can take from Acts chapter 9. And I think this is encouraging news. No person or sin is beyond the grace of God. No, no person... No sin, no matter how heinous that sin is, no person or sin is beyond the grace of God. And here's Saul, who is uh, the chief persecutor of the church. Here's Saul, who is giving um, permission and approval at uh, Stephen's uh, stoning earlier in the book of Acts. And he's chasing down Christians, and he's throwing them in prison, and, and having some of them put to death, and yet, Saul becomes a believer. And so I don't know who's on your list that you might think, oh, they would never come to faith in Christ. They would never have their life turned around. They are too far gone. Or maybe somebody's here is thinking, uh, I've, I've done too much bad in my life. The good news is there's no sin and no person that is beyond the, the saving grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, uh, the tremendous gift of salvation. Uh, lesson number two, a personal encounter with Jesus always demands a response. A personal encounter with Jesus always demands a response. So here's Saul. And he had this dramatic vision and encounter with Jesus and conversation with Jesus. And anytime we have an encounter with Jesus, it demands a response. And what was Saul's response? Saul's response was to repent, uh, to realize that he was who Jesus was and that he was persecuting the Son of God, and Saul's life was turned around. Anytime we have a personal encounter with Jesus or the gospel, it always demands a response. Later on on one of Paul's missionary journeys, he's in Athens. He's preaching to the intellectual elite of the day there in Athens, and he shares the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and the intellectuals in Athens respond in one of three ways. It says, some mocked Paul. <laughs> They they did not believe what Paul was saying. Others said, we want to hear more about this. They were interested. They will be described as seekers. And then the third category there in Acts 17 is, it says, some believed. So there's the there's three responses. And anytime we have a personal encounter with Jesus and we share the gospel, some discount it, some mock it. Some are interested and want to investigate and find out more. And some believe. Well, our personal encounter with Jesus, probably none of us are going to have a dramatic encounter like uh, Saul did on the road to Damascus, but our personal encounter with Jesus, for the most part these days, comes through the Word of God. At the end of the Gospel of John, John summarizes it well, uh it says Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is what? The Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you might have life on his name. And so our personal encounter for the most part comes through um, reading God's word and understanding God's word and reading the gospels, and then we have a choice to make. Who is Jesus? Is he the son of God who came to bear my sin, or is he somebody else? That's the question Jesus asked his disciples when they were up in Caesarea Philippi. He says, who do people say that I am? And They said, well, some think you're John the Baptist, came back from the dead, and some think you're a, a prophet. And uh, Then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter nailed it on the head, didn't he? You're, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And so a personal encounter with Jesus always demands a response. Now, I mentioned most of the time our personal encounters come through reading God's Word. Uh, But I will say that uh, sometimes we put God in a box, and um, God can get his message out however he wants. I've heard this story recounted many, many times by some missionaries that have been over in the Middle East ministering to Muslims. And I've heard a personal account of missionaries who said, there are a lot of Muslims in the Middle East who are coming to faith in Christ. And you know how they're doing that? They say, Jesus appeared to me in a dream. And Jesus came to me in a dream, and, and through this dream and through this vision, I finally understood who Jesus is, and, and many uh, in the Middle East have come to faith in Jesus through a very similar experience that Saul had on the road to Damascus by seeing a vision of Jesus. If you want to check this out further, go to morethandreams.org. There's many, many stories, uh, personal testimonies of, of uh, followers of Islam that have come to faith in Jesus because Jesus appeared to them in a dream. Let me read the story of one just briefly here. Um, his name is Ali. Ali was born in southeastern Turkey, the eldest of nine children. In his youth, he helped support his family by working as a shepherd. Spending long hours alone in the countryside, he talked freely with God and told him how much he admired the beauty of his creation. But by the time he reached his 20s, Ali had lost his boyish innocence He became a heavy drinker and typically returned home from work drunk. He began to abuse his wife, Zara, and terrify his children with violent behavior. Deeply ashamed, he preferred to live for extended periods in Istanbul, knowing his family would be protected from his alcoholism by physical distance. Ali then moved to Saudi Arabia after hearing that alcohol was forbidden there in Istanbul and work was easy to come by. Though his struggle with alcoholism continued, he became more determined than ever to overcome his addiction. While living in Saudi Arabia, he made a pilgrimage to Mecca, determined to please God as a devout uh, and true Muslim. While in Mecca, Ali had a dream that changed his life forever. In the dream, Jesus appeared to him and said, you belong to me. Depart from here, you belong to me now. When Ali woke up, he was filled with indescribable joy. The dream had seemed so real. What had happened to him? Then he heard the voice of Jesus again speaking to him, Ali, you belong to me. You will not make make this pilgrimage. Leave this place. Um, The testimony goes on. It says, Ali announced to everyone that Jesus had appeared to him in Saudi Arabia and that now he was a Christian. Now, for those of us in uh, the Western world, that seems a little strange. That seems a little odd. But um, God can reach people however he wants. And uh, there's thousands that are coming to Christ in the Middle East through dreams. Well, thirdly, every follower of Jesus has a hope story to share. It's interesting that as you read through the, the book of Acts, that Saul's story of conversion is repeated two or three times. He he tells people um, his before Christ story, and he tells them his after Christ story. And isn't it interesting that if you know Jesus as your Savior, all of us have that story, don't we, to tell? And you may, may be like me, and it's like, well, my story is not as dramatic or earth-shattering as uh as Saul's is, that's okay. Every story is unique because every person is unique. Every conversion is unique. And uh, the, the bottom line is, is that we have a story, and it's our own personal testimony story to tell. Ron Hutchcraft, who ministers to the Native American Indians um, in, uh, on the reservations out west, uh, calls it your hope story. Because he goes out to these reservations where there is probably some of the most hopeless places in America uh, economically. And the alcoholism rate is off the chart. And he goes there and uh, shares the good news of the gospel. And, and people go from hopelessness to hope. And so each of us have a hope story, a personal story to tell. And uh, one of the great ways to share, uh, share the gospel is simply to tell uh, our story. It could be as simple as the, the man that was uh, healed of blindness in John chapter 9. He says, once I was blind, but now I can see. <laughs> and uh, that's our story as well. We were in spiritual darkness, and now when we come to faith in Christ, we are in uh, spiritual light Well, the last thought here, uh, life lesson, is uh, number four, that suffering is frequently a part of the Christian life. That suffering is frequently a part of the Christian life. Uh, And we get this from Acts chapter 9, verse 16, where God says to Ananias, and I'm going to show him, Saul, how much he's going to suffer. In fact, there are places in the scriptures that tell us that we are are called to suffer. Sometimes when you come to faith in Jesus, your life gets more difficult. And sometimes God allows suffering in our life. Why would would God allow that? Well, God allows that for his divine plan and his divine purpose. And um, oftentimes uh, the road of suffering is his road of refining us in our Christian walk conforming us more and more to the image of Jesus who himself suffered. And so we read the book of 1 Peter that's written to some of these believers who uh, scattered because of the, the persecution that was coming in the first century. And the theme of 1 Peter is pain with a purpose. And Peter writes to these believers who are going through intense suffering, many of them who soon will die at the hand of the emperor Nero. And he encourages them through writing the book of First Peter. Uh, words and verses that are encouragement to these believers. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verse 12 and 13. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Here's, here's not our first response to suffering. But rejoice as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed first uh, peter chapter 5 verse 10 and the god of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in christ after you have suffered after you have suffered a little while uh, there's the good news about suffering in our life it's temporary Mark Lowry says his famous, his most favorite verse in scripture was, and it came to pass. <laughs> Anything we're experiencing in our Christian life, whether it's physical suffering, relational suffering, financial suffering, whatever it is, it is, it is, it is temporary. And so, uh, after you have suffered a little while, we'll restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Where do we grow the most in our Christian life? Not usually in the good times. It's in those hardships and those suffering times uh, when um, we need to turn to God and His scriptures and the and the family of God. And so uh, the call to be a Christian is a wonderful call, but sometimes it also involves suffering. And for the Apostle Paul, it certainly did. Well, that's the story of the Apostle Paul, from persecutor to preacher and uh, he makes perhaps the greatest most dramatic conversion recorded in all the scripture and the encouraging news this morning is that no one is beyond god's saving grace and i don't know who's on your your prayer list that maybe you've been discouraged about praying for or feel like giving up but uh, never never get discouraged because god's grace is uh, not beyond the reach of anyone and uh, certainly the life of Saul is an example. Well, let's, uh, let's pray together this morning. Lord, uh, thank you for this encouraging story of the total transformation of the life of Saul, who became uh, the greatest missionary, perhaps, in the entire church, who wrote a lot of our New Testament who went from persecutor to preacher. Lord, help us to realize that if we've put our faith in Christ, our transformation is is dramatic as well. Lord, that we went from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. That we have been transformed from being spiritually dead to being made alive. That we've gone from condemnation to... Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, that we've gone from being a child of the evil one to being sons and daughters of yours. And so, Lord, thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that uh, in the coming days and weeks and months that we will uh, have opportunities just to tell our story, our hope story to other people, and that you would use that to bring others to saving faith in Jesus. So thank you, and we praise you for what you're doing, and we'll give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.